This is an ABC News special. Good morning. We are coming on the air right now because the Attorney General of the United States, William Barr, is about to hold a press conference. There was, in fact, no collusion. The question is, did the president obstruct justice? The evidence is not sufficient to establish that the president committed an obstruction of justice. It's 11 o'clock in the East, the time that William Barr said that the Mueller report would be sent to Congress. The report's been posted, Mark. The report has been posted publicly. We're going to be reading the special counsel's report. We have producers scattered around our second floor newsroom here in our Washington bureau. Almost 500 pages long, 448 pages, two big sections. Volume 2 is page 212. So team obstruction is 212. I'm getting more The president became aware that his own conduct was being investigated. The president's conduct involving Michael Cohen. I'm seeing something uh, additional here on Michael Cohen. Caitlin, take the president's efforts to prevent disclosure of emails about June 9th, 2016 meeting. Trump Tower meeting. They clearly wanted to establish whether that involved a violation of the law. I've got something wrong again. The former White House counsel, who we know spent multiple hours with the special counsel. How the president first reacted when he was told that there was a special counsel investigation. Oh my God, this is terrible. This is the end of my presidency. Welcome to a special edition of The Investigation. I'm Chris Vlasto, Senior Executive Producer here at ABC News, and I'm joined by the two lead reporters on the Trump investigation, John Santucci and Matt Mosk. What a day in the Mueller investigation. I think we're all going to collapse. <laughs> it's been a long day of reading, going through the report. Um, you know, Matt and I cut this report in half. I had team obstruction. Matt, you had team collusion. My team did more notes than Matt, not comparing, but plenty. just saying. <laughs> the quality was there for us. Yeah, there's, was, there's plenty to do for both of us on this report. But bottom line, uh, before we bring Chris Christie in here, Matt, Collusion. What 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 do you see? What do you see it? I mean, I have to take from the perspective of having first uh, heard about uh, questions about Donald Trump and Russia, almost four years ago now. In mid 2015 was when this first emerged, and at that time, and subsequently, you'll remember Donald Trump told uh, George Stephanopoulos that he had no dealings with Russia whatsoever. Uh, it's hard to see that from this light today. And John, what do you think for the president? With obstruction of justice, I mean, I think this is fake news. What? I think so much of what we've reported as a team over the last 22 months um, are things that were in this report, scenarios that were happening inside the White House, the president's interactions with his team, with his lawyers, um, and with many of the key players. Um, So many things that uh, we had been reporting out, the president that would angrily tweet about uh, in reactions, we see it right here in Bob Mueller's uh, over 400-page report in black and white, all true. All right. Well, why don't we bring Chris Christie in here now? He is not only a Trump uh, advised, former Trump advisor, he's an ABC News consultant. Overall, Governor, is this a good day or a bad day for uh, President Trump? Yes, it's a good day for the president because whenever you're investigated for a crime and you're not charged, it's a good day because the alternative is so awful. Now, there's still many challenges that this report's going to present for the president going forward from Congress and from the other 14 investigations that are going on at U.S. attorneys' offices around the country. But there were one of two things that could happen, right, at the end of the Mueller investigation. It could be either a set of charges against the president and other people around him, or it could not have charges 
the idea that the charges were not brought makes it a good day for the president. Now, you know, there in, on the obstruction section, it seems like his staff saved him from himself. And this could have been a lot worse if people like Don McGahn and even Corey Landowski had followed through on the president's wishes. But is that really that unusual? You're a governor. I'm sure your staff told you not to do things, right? Well, yeah. I mean, listen, I, I think that the the amount of times that it was done is, is probably the unusual part. But I think any chief executive wants to have people around them who will have different opinions and will push back if they think you're doing something wrong. So that's not horribly unusual. I think the only thing that is a little unusual for my at least my first quick reading of the report is the number of times that was done. Well, Governor, I was going to ask you, I mean, just you've read the report as much as we have. What actually stood out to you on your first takeaway? Gosh, there were so many things. I mean, first of all, I think the the detail on the Russian part of the investigation is chilling. Um, I think as somebody who has had their name on the ballot, who cares about the honesty, integrity, validity of our elections, um, the, the, the depth and breadth of the Russian efforts to me was really chilling. Um, I think secondly, I found as a lawyer and a former prosecutor, the kind of really kind of tortured, detailed way in the beginning of the obstruction report that Mueller talks about why he decided not to make any determination to punt was an interesting bit of legal gymnastics. Um, and, And lastly, I think I obviously, having spoken to the president you know, frequently during the last number of years, knew of his frustration and his anger about what was going on. You're actually quoted in the report, actually, about that, right? I I am. And and I think, you know, part of it, uh, but but the, the detail that Mueller gives gave me an even greater sense of how tortured the president really was at times by what was going on. And one of the things, you know, Governor, we have been tracking for so long is who went in to meet with the special counsel. I have to be honest with you, in all our reporting, we did not know you went in (laughs) for an interview with Robert Mueller's team. (laughs) What was that experience like? Well, first off, remember, I've always told you guys that I'm a former prosecutor, so I know how to keep a secret. Um, You succeeded. And I wanted to make make sure that, um, you know, respected the process having been involved with the process on the other side many times as U.S. attorney. But what I'll tell you is it may have been spectacular for some people, but for me, because I had that experience of being involved in so many interviews over my seven years as U.S. attorney, it was pretty standard fare, guys. It was a windowless conference room in a nondescript office building in Washington, D.C. Um, there were three agents, as I recall, and three prosecutors. We sat across a conference table from each other. Um, and they asked questions and I answered them for somewhere between two and three hours. And so, you know, it was was not spectacular in my experience. Well, I was just going to ask you because one, we've spoken to people who have gone in for interviews over the course of the 22 months. And one of the things they've said to us is that they were surprised um, by the depth of knowledge of the special counsel's team. But I guess, you know, for you being the only former federal prosecutor who's gone in there, was there anything that they asked you that you were surprised that they were on to? No. No. I mean, listen, I, again, this comes from my experience as U.S. attorney. When you're going to bring a witness in, you want to be the most prepared people in the room. Uh, because if you're not, you're not going to have the opportunity to get the most out of the interview that you could. 
So I know at least it was our practice in my office that, you know, before we had anybody in for an interview, we made sure we knew absolutely everything we could possibly know. And that interview was the last thing you would do. Um, so I, they, I was not surprised by anything that they um, knew or that they asked me about that I went, wow, how could they figure that out? Being pretty familiar with the way investigations are conducted, I was not surprised. Can I ask you, Governor, I'm curious now that you've seen the whole report, they they went pretty exhaustively through contacts between Russians and, and people affiliated with the Russian government and members of the Trump campaign world. Did you expect that that was the degree to which there was contact between the Russians and the Trump campaign? Was there more? Was there less? What, what was your assessment of it? There was more, but it was at, as I suspected, at a pretty low level, you know, with the exception of the Trump Tower meeting um, and, and Paul Manafort himself. Uh, you know, I thought it was at a pretty low level of people that I never, you know, knew or interacted with um, during the time that, you know, I was helping with the campaign. So, you know, um, I, I was a little bit surprised. Again, I said, you know, as I said before, it was the, the breadth and depth of the Russians' efforts that were kind of chilling to me. Um, and, you know, I never thought that the campaign itself was operating in an organized, conspiratorial way with the Russian government. And I think the report makes it pretty clear that not only was it the campaign, but no other American citizens were. And that's a good thing. I mean, this sounds like a loaded question, I guess, but I mean it in a sincere way. Was this a hoax? I mean, the president has continued to maintain this was a hoax. What do you think? Was this legit? No, it, it wasn't a hoax. I mean, it was not a hoax. I mean, I, you know, the, the fact is that there is plenty of information here which necessitates a, a counterintelligence investigation um, into what Russia was doing. Now, you know, I know the president, what he means by hoax is, that there was never any, you know, type of collusion between his campaign and uh, conspiracy between his campaign and the Russian government. That turned out to be true. But the fact is that the only way to really prove that out um, was to, to conduct the investigation. And I remember saying to the president a number of times, listen, when this is over, you're, you're going to the report is going to be a benefit to you on this collusion issue, not a detriment. And I think the report is a benefit to the president on the uh Russian interference uh, portion of the report. But, but you know, the one thing I said to the gang here before we started, I said, this is this report is also a vindication to the press and that a lot of the stories that we did that the president repeatedly referred to as fake news actually turned out to be true. And he was repeatedly lying over and over and over again about the obstruction part. Isn't that a problem for the president as a leader? Going forward, well, first off, it's a it's it's a positive thing for the press in a in a time when um, the press is under increasing attack. Um, and you know, I've always thought it was wrong for the president to call the press the enemy of the people. Um, I had, as you guys know, I certainly had my combative moments with the New York and Philadelphia press corps that covered me um, in New Jersey, but I never saw them as the enemy of the people, and still don't. So I think the most important thing is the first part of it, which is that, you know, many, many, many of the press stories that were done turn out to be validated by Bob Mueller's um, investigators who had subpoena authority and grand jury ability. And so you, you would think they would get to the bottom of it and get it accurately. 
And I've always said to the president that the harsh, harsh rhetoric um, regarding the media is something that I don't think serves him well or serves the country well. But what about the lying, though? What about the lying going forward? I mean, he did lie repeatedly. And as a leader, when you have these kind of examples, I mean, it was the criticism I did 20 years ago with Bill Clinton. You know, you lie, you lose credibility with the people. I mean, these are documented lies. Well, listen, you know, I always try to make it my practice um, exclusively when I was in public life and certainly in private life as well. But you have a special obligation when you're in public life to tell the truth, even when the truth hurts. So there are certainly examples in this report that should be embarrassing to the president. Um, But um, we also know um, that there are various uh, ways that people in political life and sometimes members of the press spin things in certain ways as well. Uh, there's a there's a mix of both of those kind of examples in here. Um, but any time anybody says something that they know to be untrue as a public official, it's not something to be proud of. I could be mistaken, but I don't remember the president ever addressing the fact that the Russians engaged in such a comprehensive effort to really wage an assault on the American electoral process. If you were advising him on this, what, what would you have him say about that? I would have him shift the focus to that, quite frankly, to bring his intelligence leaders in, you know, bring in Gina Haspel and Chris Ray, uh, bring in the DNI and and uh, and say, listen, we now have a roadmap for what the Russians did. What are we doing to prepare for the 2020 election? I authorize you to do everything it is you need to do to protect the integrity of that election and we'll work with Congress to make sure that if you need additional funding, that you'll get it in order to protect the integrity of our election. I have often thought that that would be a really productive uh, thing for him to do and a smart thing for him to do politically. Well, on that note, I think that's a forward way of thinking. And uh, thank you for joining us, Governor. Happy to be with you guys. It's a big day. Coming up, we're going to talk to Kate Shaw, our legal analyst, who's going to break down the legal issues of the Mueller report. Welcome back. I'm Chris Vlasto. I'm joined here by Matt Mosk and John Santucci of the Investigative Unit. And now we're joined by Kate Shaw, ABC News contributor and professor of law at Cardozo Law School. Welcome, Kate. We just spoke to Chris Christie, and he, I asked him whether or not this was a good day or a bad day for the president. And he actually said it's a good day for the president because anytime you have a prosecutor that didn't prosecute you, it's a good day. Do you agree with that? Uh, that strikes me as a pretty low bar, actually. Um, so if you're the president not being indicted when your Department of Justice has a background rule that says you can't be indicted, um, doesn't seem like a major victory to me. No. I mean, what matters, what seems to me to matter more is the contents of the report. And I don't think the contents of the report paint a particularly good picture of the president. Except for the fact that isn't the underlying, I mean, the whole investigation was set up about whether or not there was a conspiracy to collude. I know that's not the actual law, but he is vindicated on that, isn't he? I that? Think, yeah. Oh, oh, I think absolutely. I mean, I, I will say that the special counsel describes the mandate with respect to, you know, collusion, conspiracy, cooperation, right? How, sort of however one you, you want to describe that kind of central piece of the investigation as um, 
requiring something more than that both sides were kind of monitoring and responding to each other's actions, right? So so I do think that you see in that section of the report, um, yes, I mean, there's lots of contacts. There, there is a lot of sort of action taken in parallel in some ways, but not enough to satisfy the high bar of showing a criminal conspiracy. So I think it's right that there is a bottom line vindication in the sense of, you know, no criminal charges beyond obviously those that the office has already brought um, and no underlying big chargeable conspiracy with Russia to change the outcome of an American election. Um, But there's a lot of conduct um, that I think doesn't look good uh, on the part of the campaign, um, even in that section of the report. And that's the one that I think is most clearly a big win for the president. Do you think, um, Kate, a different prosecutor maybe a more aggressive prosecutor could look at the set of facts that are laid out in the report and have found criminal activity. There's 400 pages there right. of contacts with the Russians and 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 a pretty good outline of potential obstructive yeah. behavior. Would a Pat Fitzgerald, would a, would a more aggressive prosecutor have come at this differently and found uh, a reason to bring criminal charges? Or do you think it's it's clear there was no criminal behavior here? No, I, I don't think on obstruction, I don't think the report at all makes clear that there was no criminal behavior. So so first on would a different, would a Pat Fitzgerald, um, would another prosecutor have reached um, a different conclusion? It's hard to say. I think the answer is probably no. I think that the norm inside DOJ that you do not indict a sitting president um, isn't one that could never be revisited. So I think under some circumstances it could be. Uh, and I guess in theory could have been revisited here. But, but I I think that you would need something maybe maybe more than what – I think there is plenty in this report, but I think maybe you would need more than that to move a special prosecutor to approach the, the attorney general to say we've got to revisit that you know, longstanding principle. It's got to be wrong. There has to be some way to hold a lawless president accountable. Um, and But look, it's possible that the attorney general would say no. Under no circumstances are we going to revisit that. So so it might not matter who the special counsel is as long as you have an attorney general who thinks that principle is constitutionally required. But just talking about the obstruction of justice, yeah. I mean, Ken Starr found obstruction of justice and he actually said there was a crime. Robert Mueller even said, well, it could they could have obstructed, but he's not enough to exonerate. Am I saying that properly? I mean, Mueller went short of what Ken Starr actually did. Ken Starr said that Bill Clinton obstructed justice. That's Robert right. Mueller did not, right? Well, I, I, I basically agree with that. So, so a couple things. One, obviously, as you guys know, that Ken Starr is operating under a totally different statutory framework. And that framework requires him to make a referral to Congress when he has uncovered, you know, the language of something like substantial and credible evidence that might constitute high crimes and misdemeanors. So in some ways, I viewed Ken Starr as, as um, looking to satisfy a very different standard, high crimes and misdemeanors, not a provable criminal offense or set of provable criminal offenses, right? So obviously, Ken Starr didn't bring a criminal indictment against Bill Clinton either. Right. Um, he wrote a report to Congress that said a lot of this looks impeachable and the impeachable conduct mostly tracked specific criminal offenses like obstruction of justice and perjury. But then there is this one kind of standalone um, uh, like possible impeachable conduct section of the Star report that's about kind of like lies to the public and conduct unbecoming of the office of the presidency that actually doesn't have 
a precise analog in uh, the criminal law. But but uh, but just in terms of this report, I mean, I actually do think that if you go closely through, so there's these 10 acts that might constitute obstruction of justice. And the report goes through and details the evidence. What were the acts? What was the president's likely intent? What was the nexus to any kind of ongoing investigation? And I, as I read the report on like maybe three of those, I think the report is saying there very likely was obstruction of justice. So that includes trying to curtail the special counsel's investigation by trying to get Sessions to unrecuse and then to narrow the scope of it and to get Don McGahn to lie about having been instructed to fire uh, the special counsel. Um, and, um, you know, a couple of others are mixed. Um, oh, and the, the attempts to, 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 to remove just to remove the special counsel directly, sort of separate from trying to get McGahn to lie about having done it. So there's about three of the ten that as I read them – I think the special counsel believed the evidence was there. You were talking about even the Ken Starr standard yeah. of, of the lying the to public. And yeah. he actually made that part of his report. In this report, there are a lot of instances of yeah. Donald Trump lying to the public yeah. over and over and over again. Why not charge him then? I mean, going to Matt's point that a more aggressive prosecutor, like Ken Starr for that matter, would he have filed obstruction case with the same facts, would he have made the case saying, "Nope, you, you, we should impeach him on obstruction"? Yeah, I mean, given I, the same facts, I think. Look, so he's not. There's no suggestion that he should be charged or that that lying publicly is obstruction of justice, um, because you know, I, I I don't think it is. I think that some of the public statements that that have you know that seem to clearly have the intent of investi- intimidating witnesses or moving witnesses to either not cooperate or to you know show that they're on the team and uh, provide you know, sort of helpful testimony, helpful to the president, that those kinds of public statements, the special counsel's office takes the position, are certainly relevant to a potential obstruction um, inquiry. Now, um, the statements alone, you know, if they're not about trying to impede some kind of ongoing investigation or matter, you know, grand jury matter, uh, uh, what have you, um, the statements alone, you know, aren't criminal, couldn't be criminal, whether we're talking about a president or not. Um, But but I think they do. It's just look, Congress never, you know, in um, the Clinton um, impeachment, the House decided not to impeach Clinton on these kind of standalone lies to the public, uh, kind of you know failure to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. Um, and it's interesting. They, you know, they it was part of the Star report and the House. Judiciary Committee considered, but then decided not to bring um, a separate charge. They stayed just with perjury and obstruction of justice. Um, but but that's where I think that, you know, kind of the public lies, um, which are a lot of them are detailed in the report. And I think a lot of them are going to become clear in the next couple of days as everyone is able to kind of read the report against the sorts of public statements the president was making at particular moments in time. Um, those just feel like their relevance is mostly political and not legal, right? So the consequences of all of those lies, if there are any, are going to be electoral, are going to maybe be um, in the hands of Congress if Congress decides it's sort of the aggregate of all of this likely you know, or possible obstruction of justice conduct um, and a kind of pattern of lies and misstatements to the public, that all of that warrants you know, some kind of look uh, sort of through the lens of impeachment, right? The Constitution gives the House, the initial power to impeach, and then the Senate, the power to remove um, a president for high crimes and misdemeanors. I and mean, no one really knows what that means. But do does some potential obstruction of justice and a pattern of lies and misconduct qualify? If a majority of the House decides that it does, then maybe it does. Maybe we could go all the way back to the beginning of how this report was released, which is uh, we had the summary 
um, statement, the four-page memo from Bill Barr, followed by the press conference by Bill Barr in which he summarized and described the report, followed finally by the actual release of the real report. Looking back at that, did the attorney general do a disservice to the public, do you think? Was, or did he describe accurately the conclusions of the Mueller report? What's your takeaway now that you've seen it? I I don't think he did um, a particularly faithful job in terms of accurately summarizing the report, either in his initial four-page letter or in his press conference this morning. I mean, the, 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 I don't think I don't think there are any gross misstatements in the letter, but I do think the letter casts the findings of the report in a far more favorable light to the president than is supported by the actual content of the report. And I think that's also true about the press conference this morning. I mean, you know, one thing that he could, you know, there's all these things he could have done that I think would have genuinely been helpful to the public. Like he could have explained how and why he and Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein concluded that there wasn't enough evidence to um, constitute obstruction of justice, right? Because we know Mueller didn't decide, right? He did not reach a, a, a traditional prosecutorial judgment about it. And and Barr doesn't help us understand what process he went through to assess the evidence and why. Now, maybe it is because he seems to hold this view that if there is no provable underlying crime, there can be no obstruction of justice. It would just be useful to know sort of how and why they reached that conclusion. But, but isn't it also true, though, that he didn't have to release this report at all? He could. This could have all gone into a vault in the Justice Department capsule. Would that be politically viable? Well, but he could have. I mean, isn't that right? I mean, in history, may yes, maybe the press conference. There's a little politics in it, but this could have gone away. I mean, doesn't he deserve a little praise for that? Well, I'd say a couple of answers. One, he pledged to be as transparent as possible in releasing the report when he was confirmed, right? And I think query whether he would have been confirmed had he not made that. Pledge, right? I, I, I don't, I don't know. I think that 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 there has been a lot of interest um, on the Hill, right? And you know, when we're talking about confirmation, obviously it's just the Senate that matters. And yes, the president's party controls the Senate. But I, I think even some members of the president's party would not necessarily have voted to confirm Bill Barr had he not made some kind of commitment. So I kind of think some some degree of transparency around this report might have been the kind of price of the ticket of even getting the job in the first place. So it's sort of hard to run the counterfactual had he not been willing to to pledge to be transparent about it. But but it's true. He could have been. I think the report is less redacted than I I suspected it would be. And I think a lot of other people thought it'd be more redacted. So I think that they seem to have, you know, because this is a voluntary public disclosure. This is not currently, is not being released right now in response to a demand and litigation or a congressional subpoena. Um, but it, it already is being requested under the Freedom of Information Law, and it likely will be, the full text will be uh, subject to a subpoena shortly. So I think they did all the redactions with an eye to being able to defend all of them in the litigation that was sure to follow. And I think, so I think they've, um, they were more restrained than they might have been. So I do think you're right. From the perspective of transparency, some credit is due, um, you know, for having been restrained in redacting. But the doing, but the releasing it all, I think Barr kind of had to do. All right. Well, thank you very much, Kate. Thanks for having me, guys. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us for the special episode of the release of the Mueller Report. Please be sure to hit subscribe and leave us a rating. Next week, we're back to our regular schedule, new episodes dropping every Tuesday. Thanks to our producers, Trevor Hastings, Alex Hosenball, Shannon Crawford, and Caitlin Fulmer. For my colleagues, Matt Mosk and John Santucci, we'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Investigation. 